Well, good morning and welcome to Brighton Road today. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, you are very, very welcome. I'm Deborah, one of the members here. I'm going to be leading the service and Marion is going to be speaking to us later on. So our call to worship this morning is taken from some verses of Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. Well, that seems sort of quite definitive, really, doesn't it? Um, that's quite an instruction that we have been given to sing praise to our awesome God. So we're going to do that in our first song. And I just want to remind you there are some signs that, that we can do to help us express our praise to God in this. So our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Would you like to stand and join me? Jerusalem, as later in the same chapter we read of his triumphal entry 
on Palm Sunday. There are crowds of people here jostling to catch a glimpse of this man that they've heard so much about. I get an image of those crowds in London for the Queen's funeral, that kind of feel. And Luke tells us straight away that Zacchaeus is there in the crowd. He names him, he tells us his job, his financial position, his desire to see who Jesus is, and the barrier to that, his height. He was a very little man, and a very little man was he. In many of the stories that we've been considering from Luke's Gospel, those who have been involved aren't even named. So perhaps this detail is significant. But most significant is the reason that he's there. He wants to see who Jesus is. So why are you here today? Why have you gathered with this crowd? Who is Jesus? Let's sing together, Jesus, hope of the nations. Let's stand.
So we're going to remind ourselves of that familiar story now. As Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, large crowds met him everywhere. People were asking him to show them the way to salvation and to teach them more about the kingdom of God. This man truly is a prophet. My master, save me. People were beginning to accept him as Lord. In Jericho, there was a tax collector named Zacchaeus. He wanted to see Jesus so much that he climbed a tree to get above the crowd. That's the tax collector! <laughs> Hurry down, Zacchaeus. For I must stay in your house today. My house? Listen, I will give half of my belongings to the poor, and if I cheated anyone, I will pay him back four times as much. descendant of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and tax collectors had contracts with the Romans to collect the taxes in a particular region or town and paid a substantial fee for the franchise. Chief tax collectors probably subcontracted the actual collecting work to others. But Jews despised tax collectors as mercenaries and thieves. Zacchaeus is wealthy, but because of his profession, he probably doesn't have many friends, other than some minor Roman officials, his employees, and those drawn to him because of his wealth. Outside of that, he probably has mostly enemies. Zacchaeus is short. He can't see over the heads of those in front of him, so in order to see what's going on, he has to be a bit resourceful, put himself out, take a chance that he'll be laughed at. Even the tree he chooses to climb is associated with the poor. It was a sycamore fig tree, and in winter the shepherds would climb the tree and scar the fruit and rub oil and oil into it to make it more palatable when they were collected a few weeks later. The poor man's fig. Zacchaeus' job demands that he commands respect. Yet he's prepared to risk his reputation and draw attention to himself in order to see Jesus. 
What efforts have you taken in order to meet with Jesus today? I suspect, like me, not many. I definitely haven't had to climb any trees. So what else is getting in the way? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there are few physical challenges to us meeting with you today, whether we're here in the building or or at home online. And we ask that you would break down the barriers that we put up, that prevent us from seeing who you are. Open our hearts to what you would say to us, whatever our circumstances and whatever our age. Bless our children and young people and those who lead them in BRBK as they leave us now. Thank you that you will be with them too. Amen. Amen. So as the BRBKers leave, let's come in adoration of Jesus our Saviour because there is none like him. Let's stand.
The reading this morning is taken from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks be to God. Jesus does the unexpected again. He sides with those on the margins of society. Zacchaeus may be wealthy, but it hasn't made him popular. Rather, he's despised by his community. In the previous chapter, a few weeks ago, we heard that Jesus had welcomed the beggar and made heavy demands on the rich man. But here things are different, and definitely not what the crowd would have expected. Jesus initiates the conversation. It's almost as if he's been looking for Zacchaeus. He knows his name, and he speaks directly to him. He makes no reference to Zacchaeus' faith or lack of it, and he ignores the reaction of the crowd. In that moment, it's just about the two of them. And it's definitely not about anything Zacchaeus has done to earn the attention of Jesus. Let's sing again, only by grace can we enter.
tudtam. So we've seen that Zacchaeus is on the margins of his community. Who's on the margins of our community? From whom do we shy away when it comes to showing compassion, sharing God's love in practical ways? Zacchaeus' height made him very easy to overlook. Who are we in danger of overlooking, consciously or unconsciously? Do you avert your eyes when you see the homeless or someone a little bit unsavoury, as my parents would have called it? It's so easy, isn't it? Is that what Jesus calls us to do? How can we show the kindness of the Saviour? Alison's going to come and share some information about a new initiative and then lead us in some prayers. So Alison, come and talk about Saturday Kitchen for us. I was going to do it the other way around. Oh, sorry, do it the other way around. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <clears throat> well, it's good to have prayer first. <laughs> Um, uh, when Debbie asked me to, to do the prayers this morning, she asked that uh, we might pray for those who are on the margins of our society. And she's already mentioned that, and she's shown some pictures, and that's all I've got here as well. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, let's go. Um, actually, first of all, and I, was, I, I really did have this to do, I want us to perhaps spend one minute just thanking God for where we are in this society, in this community, in this world where we live. Because, dare I say it, we are privileged. And I think we just need to thank God this morning in our own hearts. Whatever you want to, whatever you feel, you need to thank God for. But we face uncertain times. So let's, let's just thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's a bit like me, you're, <clears throat> you're thanking God for your home, your food, your finances, even if they are not so great. But I want you now to um, take a walk in your mind around your neighbourhood. What do you see as you walk around your streets or even in town? Do you know, as I walked in my road this week, I saw a man sitting on one of the benches in the field opposite, quite clearly having drunk all the cans of beer that were sitting on the bench, empty by his side and underneath a well-known sight. 
I saw the um, HDC uh, minibus drawing up alongside a house about four doors along to pick up a disabled youngster to take to school. He then drives around and goes down and picks up two from another house further down the road. I heard a lady, and frequently hear this lady, who quite clearly struggles with her children, her family. Saw so another lady, and I've seen many years, she walks with her head down, and I have tried to say hello, mumbling it, feeling embarrassed, but I've got a bit more bold over the years. But she doesn't lift her head. Is she lonely? Is she anxious? Fearful? We see the homeless in town, some of them begging. Now, just take a walk round your streets. What do you see that would indicate to you that there are people living <clears throat> on what we describe as the margins of our society? And so we come to pray for these people. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said he had come to <clears throat> proclaim freedom to the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted. And we see people who are brokenhearted and captive by their situations. And we often refer to these as being on the edge of our society and communities. <clears throat> Many of them long to be set free, but they are held captive by their circumstances and often also by our own attitudes and the attitude of our government towards them. So it's been very short prayers for these people. <clears throat> For those imprisoned by poverty and feel their self-respect and dignity has been taken from them. Lord, hope of the nations, have mercy. For those imprisoned inside a disabled or diseased body, leaving them feeling excluded from normal everyday living, Lord, hope of the nations, have mercy. For those whose bodies and minds are held captive to drug or alcohol, abuse, 
and who feel misunderstood and despised by many. Lord, hope of the nations, have mercy. For those who have been victims of sexual abuse and sexual misuse in and outside the home and feel they cannot disclose the truth as they feel their bodies are violated, Lord, lighten the darkness, have mercy. For carers, young and old, who selflessly deny themselves certain freedoms and need rest. Lord, hope of the nations, have mercy. For refugees and displaced people who are captive to poor physical and mental health due to their living conditions and feel a sense of abandonment and hopelessness. And just in that context, Lord Father, we pray for all those folk housed in the Manston Airport with absolutely no <clears throat> sense that anyone is dealing with them or caring for them or even interested in them. Father, we pray for that situation to come to an end. Lord, hope of the nations, have mercy. For released prisoners who still face literally being in prison because potential employers <clears throat> see only their, their crime and so reject them. Lord, light of the darkness, have mercy. For those held captive by climate change, as natural disasters destroy their homes and livelihoods, Father, they are fearful and, hope and hopeless in a situation that is beyond their control. We pray for their future. Lord, hope of the nations, have mercy. Father, these are just a few of the people who just don't seem to belong. And Father, we, we want to pray for them because you created each human being in your image to have dignity, to have self-worth, to have acceptance, to have hope, to experience love, to experience comfort. and a healthy lifestyle. And Lord, we pray for them because your heart hurts for them. And our prayer, Lord, is that you would give to our government, to the governance of the world, your compassion. Lord, we know that you are the hope of the nations. You are the light in the darkness of this world. And as we think of our new government, 
We pray for our new Prime Minister, for Rishi Sunak, and for all the decisions that he and his ministers are going to have to take regarding the economy, housing, health, education, energy, food costs, asylum seekers, farming and agriculture. Lord, we pray that he would have good judgment and a genuine concern and compassion for these people. And Father, may we ourselves follow the example of the one whom we say we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ, and look with love and compassion upon those marginalised in our society. May we work for you through our churches and through charities and through our own individual projects that more people will find their identity in the one who created them and know the salvation in his son. And we bring these prayers to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We, we have to have that hope, don't we? Otherwise, it's all rather gloomy. Um, yeah, um, I think most of you will know by now that uh, there's an outreach project going on, and we're uh, planning and hoping to be able to offer to families in our community, in the, in the Horsham area, um, uh, a meal on a Saturday. It's specifically aimed at children who don't get the free school meal, who do get the free school meal, but obviously not on a Saturday. And we're inviting them to come and we will give the children a meal and the parents as well in, in terms of what they want or what they feel that they can uh, you know, take from us sort of thing. Um, I want to say a big thank you to those of you who've offered to help, been enormously encouraged. I guess we're nearly got enough people, but nearly is never enough. And certainly we could do with a few more people willing to help. You've probably read about it in the bulletin. You may have received an email. I want to stress it's not every Saturday. It's only one Saturday a month that you would be involved. Um, we won't now be starting until January for a number of reasons, but I just feel that it might be something worthwhile that we can do to show our compassion, to show that we're here. And if you're not able to help, then obviously your prayers would be enormously appreciated. And we hope too that you might feel encouraged to offer a little bit of financial support at some stage. Uh, I reckon it's going to cost about £10 to feed one child for the, for the four Saturdays. Um, so see how you feel about that. And uh, so that we can really all feel a part of it. it. That's what I'm really trying to say, that nobody's excluded. So thank you for your thought. Thank you for those who've spoken to me about it and still continue to speak to me. But thank you very much. Thank you, Alison. Everyone needs compassion. 
the kindness of a saviour. Let's stand. that day panning out. Did he expect to be welcoming Jesus into his home? I doubt it somehow. But he responds to Jesus' initiative with willingness and joy and goes on to make some very bold statements. A changed life indeed. And when we meet with Jesus, he demands a response. So how will our encounter with Jesus this morning change us? How will we go out into the week as different people? How will we respond to the needs around us? Will we even notice the needs around us? Will we be known by generosity and love? 
And just before Marion comes and shares with us some how, G- how Zacchaeus responded to Jesus, we're going to sing once more, Go Peaceful, May We Be Known by Love. Let's stand. Well, good morning. And uh, it's so lovely to see you. I, I have to say this, uh, when I saw that this was the uh, text that I was um, being asked to, to preach on, it did make me smile. It's such a, um, a Sunday school classic, isn't it? For those of you who've been brought up uh, within uh, Sunday school, um, it's, it's just a, an absolute classic. And, and it's one that um, for, for many a year, I have sort of, in, in one regard, um, related to, um, I have never been, uh, nor ever shall be anything but short. Um, so I, I used to take quite some encouragement from uh, from this message, even as a child. Um, but uh, I, I happened upon, in preparation for this morning, I happened upon a, a particular story, again, I sort of identify with, um, of a, it's an American guy. He submitted this to the, the Reader's Digest. And uh, he says... Um, Uh, This is all you need to know about the different relationships that I have with my wife and my mother. I bought two ceiling fans, uh, one for our home and one for my parents. While installing our fan, I had to stand on a chair on my tippy toes. As she watched me struggle, my wife let me know the reason for my troubles. You're too short, 
Later, my mother watched me on tippy-toes as I was installing the other fan for my parents. Her comment, the chair's too short. I thought that was quite sweet. But the uh, same situation looked at quite differently. Um, but uh, Jeff's wife, she saw the problem, and the problem was Jeff. Um, it was easy to identify that if only he was taller, if only he were taller, the fan could easily be fitted. He was just too short. Um, and today we're thinking of that very man, Zacchaeus, who the, the one thing that people will be able to tell you about him uh, is that he was too short to see Jesus. But I, I take slight issue with that. I, I think, actually, it seems to me that Zacchaeus was exactly the right height to see Jesus. It seems to me that if, if he wanted to see Jesus, um, that uh, he needed to uh, be able to set um, his status aside um, and be willing to risk embarrassment in front of his whole community. And it was because of his height that he had to do that if he wanted to see Jesus. His height was actually just right. And all too often, we're prepared to, to write off someone, or maybe even ourselves, uh, because they're too this, or they're not enough that, um, and they or we don't measure up. But Zacchaeus, as I said, I think he was just the right height. Because he not only saw Jesus because of it, he met with him too. By being just the right height, the whole course of his life changed and led to him encountering Jesus and being transformed by that experience. And so can you and I. Anyway, that was a little bit of an aside that I thought was worth sharing. What I really wanted to focus on this morning is the response that Zacchaeus had uh, to Jesus. It's so easy as a Sunday school story to be too familiar and, and just uh, miss out on perhaps uh, the depth that there is to be had with this text. So let's look at this passage a little bit more closely that we find in Luke's, as uh, Deborah said, only found in Luke's Gospel. The fact that this account is found in Luke is no accident. Luke is thought to be the only uh, Gentile writer of uh, a New Testament text, and wiser scholars than I believe him to have been a doctor, and we see him dedicate his gospel to a Gentile, Theophilus, in chapter 1. Well, that's not to say that these writings are intended only for one reader, for Theophilus, but instead, Luke is trying to show that the non-Jew, you and I, also has a place in God's kingdom. He wants to show that Jesus is indeed for the whole world. And so we repeatedly see in Luke's Gospel Jesus engaging with the outsider, the marginalised, and the so-called lost causes. They're the sort of people that society like to either ignore or write off. I don't know why, but I've never really noticed, and I know I should have done, but uh, in just the two chapters preceding this incident with Zacchaeus, we see Jesus time and again giving just these people centre stage. Draws them from the outside in. Um, we've been looking at them over these past few, um, few weeks in our Sunday, school, uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday sermons. The lepers are in chapter 17. 
There's the widow, the tax collector, children, and a blind beggar, all mentioned in, in included in chapter 18. That's a lot in one chapter. And then Jesus, in chapter 19, meets Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector of Jericho. As Deborah has said, Jericho is that city that is, uh, well, I, for, for me, I immediately uh, link with uh, Joshua and the walls kind of tumbling down type stuff. We're full of the old songs today, aren't we? Um, but in Jesus' day, it was that city that was that benefited from being not only close to one of the, uh, the crossings of the River Jordan, but also it was astride the roads that led to Jerusalem. So it was that city of commerce. It's leading to Jerusalem. Literally 18 verses later in this chapter, Jesus is going to make his triumphant entry on a donkey with the crowd waving palm branches. Christ is most certainly at this point en route to the cross. So this commercial hub is where Zacchaeus has made his money. It is, as we already know, highly likely that he abused his position and rewarded himself with excessive tax collections, making the most of the opportunities such a wealthy city was able to afford him, or in some cases, ill afford. So somehow, Zacchaeus goes from dishonesty to deliverance in just what seems certainly a few verses, only a few short steps. How does this all happen? How does he go from dishonesty to deliverance? Well, it starts with a command. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. First, it's worth noting, I believe that Jesus had his own sort of personal mission here in Jericho to meet with Zacchaeus. I don't think it just happened, he just happened to randomly spot him and think, oh, that's an interesting, what's that fellow doing up there? This was a deliberate encounter, I believe, planned by Jesus. He sought him out, and there is a real sense of urgency here. Zacchaeus is to come down immediately. The I must in I must stay at your house is day, D-E-I, apparently, which means it is necessary. It is necessary that I come to your house and must do so today. This moment is Zacchaeus's chance. This is his personal invitation. And he mustn't ignore it or miss it. So what does he do? We read, he came down at once, it says in verse 6, and welcomed him, Jesus, gladly. In the New Living Translation, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. You can just imagine it, can't you? Actually, we helpfully saw it in the video, but I, I saw him looking even more happy, in my mind, than, than what we saw in that video. That sense of when, when Jesus looks up at him and, and, and says that he's got to be in his house today. Who? Me? M my house? Now? And then scrambling down from the tree as quickly as he possibly could, grinning from ear to ear. That, that's what I see in my mind. Just this massive grin. And, and all the way from that tree, all the way to his house, go, oh, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, it's so exciting. So exciting. 
On this spiritual journey, Zacchaeus has moved from dishonest to delight, just sheer delight in being in Jesus' presence. He can't contain his absolute joy at not just seeing Jesus, as was his original intent, but being seen by him. And to, to cap it all, to insist on being with him in his own home. He, the isolated outcast, what a delight. And the good news is that Jesus does this still. He still calls people to him. He sees you. He knows you and your circumstances. And because he loves you, he wants to be in a relationship with you. For those of us who have known Jesus as our personal saviour for, for whatever length of time, we need to be reminded that actually every day we're called to know Jesus more, that little bit better. And to live for him and to walk with him just that little bit more closely. And yet, if I'm honest, I cannot say that my response is one always of sheer delight. What an honour, what a privilege. The King of Kings and Creator of all wants to know me, wants me to know him, rather. And yet, sometimes I'm inclined to ignore, or perhaps figuratively grudgingly climb down from my self-appointed position as if I'm doing God himself a favour. Oh, go on then. Like some reluctant teenager. Oh, effort. That's what I was here. <laughs> effort. What an ego I must you know, to have to, to say that in response to the, the Lord and Saviour of all who wants me to know him better. Zacchaeus, however, has no such reluctance. He's gone from a life of dishonesty to now delight, and now he can't help himself, and faith is demonstrated. The chief of tax collectors, now that his relationship with God is, is being restored, wants to make things right with his community. The community that he has clearly for some time swindled. Now, as a Jew, Zacchaeus was bound by the law and the Torah makes very clear what he should now do. It's laid out very clearly in anticipation of such dishonesty uh, in Leviticus 6, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbour about something entrusted to them or left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbour, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when they sin in any of these ways and realise their guilt, they must return what they've stolen, or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property they found. Or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full. Add a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the owner 
on the day they present their guilt offering. So it's quite clear what Zacchaeus must do. He must give back the money that he's taken, plus an additional fifth by way of reparation. And yet, Zacchaeus does significantly more than this. Not only does he give way over the amount back to those he has cheated, four times as much in fact, but he also gives away half of all he has to the poor. Is such generosity to curry favour with Jesus or maybe his community to get back in their good books? Or maybe it's to buy his salvation? No, it's his response to the pure joy his faith in Jesus brings. It's a delight for him to give. It is in gratitude that he wants to give. And clearly this was going to impoverish Zacchaeus. Economically, he would not be on anything like the financial footing that he was before. But he's volunteering to do what Jesus asked of the rich young ruler in only the chapter before. You'll remember the young ruler asks, what must he do to inherit eternal life? He thinks he's in a good place because he's kept the commandments all his life. Good lad. He's certainly been seen doing all the right things in the right way. Surely he's the very epitome of the insider. Jesus says to him, sell what you have and give to the poor. And the young man goes away sad, not prepared to relinquish his wealth. He's unable to let go of what it turns out matters most to him. But for Zacchaeus, it's knowing Jesus and responding to his call, uh, to, to responding to Jesus' life, the call on his life that matters more. The rich young ruler demonstrated that perhaps his faith all these years was only shallow and potentially self-serving. It seems to echo what's um, been mentioned in previous chapter about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. These two, one the Pharisee thinking that he has got it all right, and the tax collector who knows that he hasn't. And Zacchaeus is in stark contrast to that rich young ruler who had it all sorted but missed the point. Zacchaeus had so much, so short in all sorts of ways, but it, now he's able to demonstrate his faith. Faith indeed. It puts me also in mind of that parable of the, uh, the sheep and goats that's actually found in Matthew's Gospel. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When, when did we see you ill or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And if we're not challenged by Zacchaeus' not only enthusiastic but sacrificial response, then what on earth are we doing here? Why do we call Jesus Lord if we're not prepared to serve? Where is our treasure? Jesus asked nothing but hospitality from Zacchaeus, but this tax collector, the one that everyone muttered about, felt so keenly the call of Jesus upon his life, he was willing to give of himself abundantly, joyfully. But what does Jesus ask of you today? Well, it may be financial. It may be something else entirely. That's between you and God. The key thing is to reflect on that. How do you respond to Jesus, whether it's for the first time that you feel that call upon your life, or whether it's the thousandth? How do you respond to that call? Zacchaeus began his story in dishonesty, but having met with Jesus, he was delighted to the point his faith was clearly demonstrated, and so he experienced deliverance. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He had started this story as an outsider, like the blind beggar man in the verse just preceding these, unable to see Jesus, but wanting to, though physically impeded. But like the blind man receives blessing and in his own way was healed. Zacchaeus is no longer an outsider. Jesus draws him into God's family. He's now a son of Abraham. So he too, unlikely as it would have seemed to his community at the start of this day, he is to share in the inheritance of being a child in God's kingdom. At the beginning of this chapter 18, Jesus poses the question in verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Then in verse 14, after having told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 10 of chapter 19, where we read Zacchaeus' story, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was why he was in Jericho, that day to save the lost Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus is here with us today. How do we respond? Let's just take a moment now much has been said in our time together much has been sung much has been heard but let's spend this time listening for God's voice upon our lives
Oh God, I pray that you might, whatever it is that you are asking of us, that we might, in humility, be obedient to you. Amen. We began our service in praise of God. And we close in a similar fashion with a classic hymn, Praise My Soul, The King of Heaven. And we have that line, To his feet thy tribute bring. Bring to him that which we owe him. Which is everything. So let's stand to sing. Praise my soul, the King of Heaven. yourself or someone else before you leave please do make your way to the prayer space over here at the front after the service and one of uh, the members of the prayer team will be delighted to pray with you or for you if you want to know more about being a follower of Jesus or about our church here then please talk to someone over a beverage in the main hall or visit the welcome desk or our website Jesus sought out Zacchaeus and called him by name and went to his house. As we depart from the sanctuary of this place, let's remember that Jesus has sought us out, has called us by name, 
and goes with us into this week. Let's honour him with the response to his call in our thoughts, our words and deeds. That God's work may continue and his name be glorified. Amen.